from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hersh, whose recent bombshell investigation fingers the Biden administration as the mastermind behind the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline system, doubles down on his allegations in a wide-ranging conversation at the National Press Club. What's in the water here in this town? He did it. He did it. I'm telling you, he did it. And I'm not taking a flyer on this. I spent a lot of time on this. He did it. Did he know all the facts that were needed? Does he read the president's daily brief, PDP? He does not. We spend the hour with Hirsch, who says that the alleged U.S. destruction of the pipeline is one sign of how reckless and how unprepared the U.S. is as it continues to ratchet up the proxy war against Russia, another nuclear power in Ukraine. I'm told that the game's going to be, this is NATO. We're supporting NATO in offensive operations against the Russians, which isn't going to fool the world, or fool much of us, I hope. It's us fighting Russia. So I don't know where we are in history now, and I'm afraid that we're starting fights that we won't be able to finish. Welcome to On the Ground, on thegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. We pick up the March 13th presentation by Seymour Hersh before the Committee for the Republic here at the National Press Club. Hersh's investigation, which he published on Substack, alleges that with the authorization of President Biden, the U.S. Navy planted explosives last June under the cover of a NATO exercise and with the help of the Norwegian Navy and Secret Service. Then three months later, in September 2022, the explosives were triggered remotely. The White House denies Hirsch's report, even though Biden promised last year that if Russia invaded Ukraine, quote, there would no longer be a Nord Stream 2, end quote. And even though several Biden aides or U.S. allies have sort of bragged about the destruction of the pipelines, most recently in January, Under Secretary of State Victoria Nuland told Congress that she was gratified that Nord Stream 2 was, quote, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea, end quote. As we pick up Hirsch's talk and question and answer session, he critiques a recent New York Times article which attempts to paint an alternative scenario for the destruction of the pipelines, one in which Ukrainians unaffiliated with the government in Kiev allegedly secured a yacht, sailed the heavily surveilled Baltic Sea, and then planted explosives that destroyed two of the three massive steel and concrete pipelines. So the other thing I'm going to read is from an interview that the New York Times did with one of the three reporters who wrote a story the other week about a yacht that was ended up somewhere in, in Central Europe and, and deserted with traces of blood and some TNT on a table and indications that there had been a diver aboard that became sort of the alternative story, at least in the New York Times. So one of the three guys, the guy, I don't know him, Julian Barnes, he went on radio. They have something called the, the New York Times, a daily podcast, you know, what the daily? That's apparently very popular. So I didn't hear this, but somebody sent me the transcript. So it's about a couple of days after the story. This is a story that said that it couldn't have been done. It wasn't done by uh, America, but it was done actually, according to uh, the New York Times' reporting, by a group, a very possible group that were Ukrainians, Ukrainian dissidents. And of course, Zelensky didn't know, and neither did, um, and neither did, of course, anybody in America. But anyway, it was a story to that effect that it was all over the front page. And so the, there's a guy named Michael Barbaro, apparently, who uh, narrates this podcast. I haven't, I haven't listened. I don't, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not in the podcast, although my, my children tell me I'm crazy not to be, but I'm not. 
So Julian, says the reporter, this is a couple of days later, it's the morning, I, I've listened to it, I've heard it, it's on regular radio or something, I don't know. So Julian, who exactly was responsible for this attack? And how did you and your colleagues go about figuring that out? And so the reporter then, you know, chats away. Well, I think what happened was for much of the investigation, we weren't asking exactly the right questions. And so the narrator says, hmm, and what were the right questions? Barnes says, well, we logically have been focused on countries. Barbara says again, hmm. And Julian then says, all those states we just went through, did Russia do it? Did the Ukraine state do it? And we, that was just hitting a dead end after dead end. We weren't finding officials who were telling us that there was credible evidence pointing at a government. So my colleagues, Adam Aintros, Adam Goldman, and I started asking a different question. Could this have been done by non-state actors? And Barbara said again, hmm, <laughs> a lot of homes. And could this have been done by a group of individuals who was not working for a government? And Barbara at this point said, kind of like freelance saboteurs. So when, where did you take this new question, said Barnes. Well, we started asking who might these saboteurs be? Or if we couldn't answer that, who might they be aligned with? Could they be pro-Russian saboteurs? Could they be other saboteurs? And the more we talked to officials who had access to intelligence, the more we saw this theory gaining traction. Another hmm. So Barnes goes on. My initial thought that this could be pro-Russian saboteurs turned out to be wrong. And we learned that it was most likely a pro-Ukrainian group. Hmm, said Barbara, but he asked the question. So in other words, a group of people who did this on behalf of Ukraine. What did you learn that makes you think this is what happened? And Barnes said, Michael, I should be very clear that we know really very little, right? This is what he's saying. This group remains mysterious, and it remains mysterious not just to us, but also to the U.S. government officials that we have spoken to. Okay, so he says, I, sh I, re I should be re very clear that we know very, very, really very little, right? This group remains mysterious, and it remains mysterious not just to us, but also to the U.S. government officials that we have spoken to. They know that the people involved were either Ukrainian or Russian or a mix. They know that they are not affiliated with the Ukrainian government, but they know they are also anti-Putin and pro-Ukraine. So Barbara now says, so after all this investigative reporting, what you find is that the culprit here is a group of people who want the same thing as Ukraine, but aren't officially tied to the government of Ukraine. I'm curious how certain you are that these individuals are not connected to the Ukrainian government. And the reporter goes on, Julian Barnes, again, who I do not know, he says, last, this is the last line. Well, the intelligence right now says they're not. And while officials are telling us that the president of Ukraine and his key advisors did not know, we can't be certain that's that true or somebody else did not know. Well, I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't know. I, it could have been written by, you know, uh, I guess by Dave Powers. I mean, what? This is the standard? We talk to officials? Not, a, you know, there you go. So that's what I'm up against uh, on this story. And it doesn't matter that, and every reporter I meet asks me the first question, who are your sources? And why don't you name them? And why don't you do that? And my answer to that, I don't say it publicly. I don't say it to anybody. I don't say it to them. I'll just say it to you. Nobody's gone to jail for talking to me. Nobody's been outed in 50 years. That's why I don't do it. And don't think they don't understand in the community. I'm talking about the serious community, not just officials who get to intelligence. So we really have a really scandalous mess here in a funny way because the I, I don't know what's going on I, I worked at the New York Times for seven or eight years and I would say I wrote an awful lot of stories as, a, as you heard domestic spying and about all Chile and Allende 
And I would say, if I wrote a thousand stories in eight years, and that's not that many, or 800 stories, I would say that all but about five were cited with unnamed sources. How else can you get really good information from people that actually are in intelligence or actually does do have access to intelligence or might even be players in intelligence who knows and so i don't quite know what's going on i think this is another bit of the trump phenomenon i really do because we've gone into a situation where if you like fox news you you don't like cnn and msnbc i can't imagine an hour's worth of television in which you don't actually learn anything night after night you learn about the guy there's some guy in congress that uh, that's a thief, whatever, a liar. We learn about him for days and hours. We learn every, everything about whatever's going on with Trump and Jan 6 and both sides, whether you're for it or against it. But we don't ever get news anymore. And the newspapers cover what they want, cover Biden. And I think we're in a, my, me, the reason I jumped on, I've been doing something else for a couple of years since COVID struck, some, some other project. One of those um, it's sort of interesting to me, but it'll be interesting to nobody else on it, um, you know, about lying. I've discovered an awful lot that I didn't know about for 50 years about me lie. You're hard to think you can know so much about, you think you know so much about something. I would say when I wrote my me lie stuff and won all these prizes, I was at maybe 5% of what really was going on then in the war and what was going on inside the White House and in the government. I'm now I'm getting to 50 and higher. But that's still way below what we need to know about how, <coughs> what an institution we can be, even when you're doing an unjust war. And the trick for me is that the people I deal with, and I, have, I do have people I deal with that are very interesting and have a, an awful lot of direct hands-on stuff, not like people who know people or people who are in the government. I do know that we are in a real crisis here with the leadership we have on foreign policy. Uh, they have really turned a lot of the world against us. They're from the day they got in, this is visceral sort of, I'm do, I'm, I'm, I went back and looked at anti-communism. I just did, I do write for Substack, not because I couldn't publish it anywhere, but because I knew nothing about it. I'm, I live in my own cocoon, but I'm friendly with a guy named Matt Taibbi, whether you agree or disagree with him talking to Musk. He's developed on Substack a very interesting, and I will tell you that the basic thesis is that the intelligence community did realize the incredible power they had to manipulate on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter particularly, and there's a lot more to come, and it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant that the government would, in its desperation to prove that, um, that Russia was behind the 2016 election, that when that, that Hillary lost, I will tell you right now, I'm not in the business then, but I did look at it, and I do have friends, and I have friends that I've trusted for 40 years. There's not, not a shred, we can argue it if you want, not a shred of real intelligence. And in fact, our NSA actually warned some people early on, you're getting in real trouble with this. That'll come out one of these days. I, 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 could, I don't like to write about NSA stuff, but they, they were picking up stuff. It's, it's really a mess. That story's a mess. And what the White House, the Obama White House, I gave up on Obama after he lied so much about both the bin Laden raid and, and other issues. I sort of gave up on him. He's just another guy running for a president. I'm sorry. He was better. He was prettier and smarter. But he, he, didn't, he didn't change the world as he could have, as he thought he might. He didn't change the, the paradigm. And one of the first things he did, and uh, this story I'm writing tomorrow comes off a long conversation with Richard Obie, 
who was chairman of the House Appropriations Committee for many, many years and very powerful man in terms, very discreet and modest, but very, very important in terms of uh, the intelligence community. He was on a small group that was involved in getting briefed, very small group of people in the House and Senate that actually had access to what they call the findings, what the CIA told him. And um, it's just very interesting. He had, he quit after one term of Obama because, uh, well, anyway, uh, I'm one of those people that 30 to 30 years in Congress, chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, very little publicity, wasn't interested in it, just did his job right, and was an insider and was troubled. And so I don't know where we are. We, we've, got a, we've got these lunatics. I don't care whether, you know, they're, I'm sure they're high IQ and, and uh, Tony Blinken and uh, Jake Sullivan, Newland, I call them Lincoln, Blinken and Nod, out of those stories that are just doing insane things. The number two guy in China ripped us off, just ripped away about three or four days and nobody, it wasn't much in the paper. China's given up us, giving, you know, we're, we're pushing some buttons that we may not be able to stop. And we've moved, the, the whole Chinese move to Saudi Arabia is not, not just incidental. And the whole move with Iran, we're putting ourselves in a real bind and it's not being reported enough. And the, the papers aren't critical. They're just too worried about another wacko Republican getting in, as they should be. This bank stuff, Biden can talk all he wants and he hasn't improved, in the last couple of days, he hasn't improved confidence. And he's now up to, they acknowledge $113 billion going into Ukraine. And I'll tell you what my, and I do talk to people about this. Uh, I think what he's going to want, what the real kicker for him, and I'm just, this isn't, I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you about stuff I won't write because I'm not that much, I haven't followed it that closely, but I do ask about what Putin, you could, it's very easy. I mean, we're big haters. We've, we always, we learned to hate uh, in the World War II and we've had, you know, we, everybody's on our hit list, Saddam, Bashar Assad, we had, uh, Gorby, we had all, most of the Russian leaders, um, certainly uh, everybody in uh, all the, the, all of the uh, uh, Khomeini, all the people in Iran are on our hit list. We always have a big hit list. And of course, <laughs> and Putin's way up there. But I will tell you, um, I read his speeches carefully. He doesn't have cancer, all those stories you read about him dying. And he is very smart. And he knows his facts and he spits them out. And he knows things and he eats certain things. He allowed the ships to go because he was promised that 30 percent of them would carry grain to the poor the poor in the world. I remember him saying it. The last statistic he gave out was if about about three months ago, something like four percent of the ships are actually carrying grain to the, the, uh, the undeveloped world where they really need it. They're all going. They're all feeding the, the money people. I mean, he was even you know, he wasn't conned on it because he accepted what would happen. And he certainly. He can never get off the snide for being the first, uh, 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 the, the first leader to put us in the bloodiest war in Western Europe since, um, since World War II. You have to, I guess, Balkans count in there, but it wasn't as bad as what we have now. And certainly Chesna was nothing like it, although it was a lot of damage. Uh, my guess is, like any rational person, he's not, uh, he is rational at a certain point. He's going to want to... Uh, He's going to want suzerainty is the word I'm hearing. It's a word in the community. He's going to want suzerainty for the, for the, the, dumb, the dumb blast reasons. Crimea says you can't take it away. But the big deal is he'll cut a deal with the government, and the deal is demilitarize, and it's going to be a no-go for us. The deal is I'll cut a deal. I'll stop. You know, he's got, he hasn't 
put, he hasn't put his main force in yet, and it's just a question of how many people he can kill. And whether you believe the press or not, I think the coverage of the war has been astonishingly stupid and bad and just awful, because we're not looking at it from any objective way in terms of what really is going on. And the people I talk to are some Europeans, mostly Americans, all have, many have spilled blood in the field, in themselves, and even, but went on in the intelligence business. And many are senior. Anyway, the bottom line is, we just may be kidding ourselves about what's going on there and what the result's going to be. And when he wants to call for demilitarization, which I think he will, that's just my guess. That's what the, there's some readings in the community that's a way out. I don't know if we'll take it. You know, we've put the 100, you know, we had the 82nd in there in Poland. We've put the 101st in there in Romania. We're talking about brigades. Now, we're not talking about battalions. We're talking about brigades. We've had ship after ship in the last couple of weeks loaded with armaments coming in the European ports. It's all designed for sure. I'm sure we, if the president would ever be asked about it, but they, they the questions in the White House press conference are just off the wall, not useless. I'm sure that you would hear that um, there is concern, not about our military leadership, which is as usual. You know, the last one we had with the brain was Dempsey. The other two guys since then are just, you know, sort of what they are, caricatures. Uh, uh, Norm Dempsey, who was retired in 19, with 2015. And uh, you ought to look at his retirement ceremony. He was an Army general. Always interesting to me. He was one of the few given permission after West going, getting out of West Point to get a two-year graduate degree in fine arts. He was interested in, in poetry and basically, and, and also a fanatic about Irish music. And he went to Duke, got a two-year master's degree, and then became a combat guy, got made a division. But when he retired in August of the uh, 215, the last day, four years as chief, and all the, everybody's there, all the poobahs, even, even Obama, and at the end, instead of giving the usual fight to the end, he sang an Irish ballad about, it's so sad to see you, and on cue, I, I don't know how he did it, his, um, as a good Catholic, he had a lot of children and, and a lot of grandchildren. His children let the kids go, and the last scene is, it's been viewed on, on um, YouTube maybe a million times, a couple of million times. They all came running and jumped into his arms, which has never happened in a, a retirement ceremony before for a chairman of the Joint Chiefs. But we all missed that one. And he didn't go on a board. He went back to Duke as a, taught, as a, on a, on a uh, he had a chair in Duke on uh, ethics and uh, Irish, Irish poetry. And so um, always interesting to me that what the, what the press doesn't cover, something like that, so interesting, so different. And so I don't know where we are. The press is, you know, this kind of coverage that we just heard about is just crazy. It's just crazy. You know, you're talking about using C4 undersea to blow up pipelines that are covered by, they're covered, the pipelines are steel, but they're protected by, by concrete large barriers surrounding them because protecting them from, from the salt water, even though the Baltic Sea isn't nearly as salty as the Atlantic much less. It's still is salt water and salinity over years. And so they have to blow up a pipeline and they have to then, they have to blow up the, 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 the concrete first and also get to the pipeline and they have to do it quickly. And I will tell you the trick of an operation like that, despite all you read about all these signals and signs, it's few people, very few people, very, very few people. That's how you get away with doing it. Very where you keep it down to the very minimum. You keep it down to the very minimum. That was 
journalist Seymour Hirsch speaking at the National Press Club talking about what he knows about the operation that destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline system. This is On the Ground, and we're going to go back to his uh, talk and Q&A at the National Press Club. You do understand when the president went to Air Force One, went to uh, Poland recently, he flew to Poland on his way to seeing Zelensky just a couple of weeks ago. It was in the, I read it either in the Times or the Post, that when the plane got into Polish territory, he turned off his IFF, his transponder, which made him invisible. So then you have all these stories that people who are e- experts in uh, open source intelligence, called OSINT, you always have them every, and they're, I mean, they're very competent, most of them are very, there's a purpose in them, but they're not seeing anything, they're reading signals, radio signals. And so the way OSINT works is the first thing, the people that would run an operation, if, assuming I'm right, there was an operation under Norway, and as you probably have read any more of us, I wrote a story a couple of weeks later about how Norway was working in North Korea with us, uh, even before we declared war in North Korea, began bombing, taking American SEALs in who were hitting uh, radar sites in the north, all before the war, before the Gulf of Tonkin, if you remember, when um, the United States falsified a... Uh, a North um, Vietnamese PT boat uh, attack on a uh, one of our destroyers. Uh, there were two signals. A guy manning the um, radar on a destroyer. It was a windy day, and um, uh, they were running uh, top secret, off off the record CIA covert ops in uh, against North Vietnam, trying to provoke North Vietnam to do something in '64 so Johnson could do what he did, got a provocation and killed him, and bombed away, and then got an authorization from Congress. Two senators, Morris and Gruning, saying no, and nobody in the House saying no, giving them authority to put what came, the 500,000 people, and kill what? Two or three million, we usually say, Vietnamese, as if there's no distinction, and 58,000 of our guys, plus who knows how many, I deal with a lot of vets, Vietnam vets, and boy, that's a war. There's so much to say about all that, because we did stupid things then. And I think I'm worried that we're going to start and do something else. I don't know what happens if it goes bad for the Ukraines and you have all this manpower. They're exercising. The 80 seconds even rotated troops back already. They've been there so long. 101st is there. A lot of weapons and arms are coming. I'm told it's the, the game's going to be that this is NATO. We're supporting NATO in offensive operations against the Russians, which isn't going to fool the world or fool much of us, I hope. It's us fighting Russia. And why we want to do that um, I don't think many of our generals have read history. The last three or four days of Stalingrad, the death and kill rate was 2,400 for the Russians every four hours. And they didn't lose that battle. I mean, come on. We really want to mix it up with those guys? I don't think so. We have an army that hasn't fought anywhere. I did a documentary years ago about Grenada. That was a laugh riot. Um, it's always a laugh riot when we, we, it seems like we're not prepared, but I don't know. Anyway, so I'm in a war with, the, with the Biden, and I'll tell you what I wish the press would do at one of these news conferences. I wish the press would say, hey, guys, you know, four days after the, the September, September the 26th last year, after the bombing, the, uh, after the, the mines, uh, the, they were mines, the mines went off, and three of the four pipelines were destroyed. Four days later, there was uh, Sullivan, Jake Sullivan, who was Hillary's guy uh, on email, too, and, um, and then worked for Strobe Talbot. 
uh, when Scholl was at Brookings, and Scholl was the guy that convinced Biden, uh, Obama, Clinton rather, more than anybody else to start, start adding more countries to uh, NATO, squeeze the Russians. He was a big player in squeezing the Russians. Perfectly nice guy. I mean, I liked him, but his policy was just crazy. Anyway, the question to ask, four days afterwards, Jake Sullivan had a news conference, and it took 11 minutes before somebody, one of the reporters asked him about the pipelines that had been blown up. And he said, well, the Swedes and the Danes are doing a study of it. Well, let's see what, let's see the fallout on that. And I, I think it was, that was the 2030th. And I think around the 16th or the 18th of the, of the next month, November, they came out with a report that showed, damn it, there was an explosion. And it was probably sabotage. That was their report. So here's the question, ask the White House, if you want to be barred from any getting any briefings or any, any access anymore. This is the question to ask. So, uh, Ms. Press Secretary, or if you ever get Sullivan or Blinken or Newland uh, in your crosshairs, say, so the president has the right to task, that's a formal word, the intelligence community to do an investigation. He can do it, the, the, the office of O&I, its director is this woman, Miss Haynes, who just gave a speech about how we're going to have to go to war with, with China to show them who's the top dog. I mean, just down the line, White House stuff. So I don't know how far you would go with the ONI. She's the head of intelligence there, the chief intelligence officer. Her testimony was really scary. All about China and half the clothes we're wearing now are probably made in China. Not more, not, more, not longer. But anyway, um, nothing good is going to come out of what we're doing in China. Just nothing. There's nothing you know, going to help somebody else. with Anyway, the question is, he could have asked them if he didn't think that was going to be very good. The CIA has a great directorate of intelligence. Most of you, some of you know, they, they have an operations division. They have, you know, a technical division, scientific divisions there. And the intelligence, there's a lot of very bright people there. And could have asked the intelligence to give a study. And if you're in the field, like some people were in Norway, there's a special group in the, that deal with, um, with special operations, that a special intelligence group. It used to be called the C group, but they probably change the name all the time. They're the guys that if you're in the field somewhere, they're monitoring everything around you, all the local phone calls to see if anybody's suspicious about what's going on. They're the hot guys in terms of protecting. The, the job is to protect people in the field. And if they see neighbors or people, you know, they're operating. They're, they're, they're meeting, you know, and they're meeting in somewhere near Oslo. Even though it's, a, it's an inconvenient place, people live there and they see people come and go. Who knows? You get suspicious. Although Norwegians don't seem to be very curious. They're probably, we probably put close to a billion dollars worth of um, electronic and military equipment there in the last year. They go 1,400 miles from Oslo all the way to the Arctic Circle where they meet Russia. And we have a brand new synthetic aperture radar we've put there, which is very expensive. You can't, and it's monitoring a big Soviet uh, missile base on the other side of the mountains in the Kola Peninsula. And we fly missions over there. We've given the Norwegians some of our best patrol planes out of Boeing, have sold five of them. Anyway, so ask them. Why does anyone want to ask them? Why does anybody ask if he's done in a report? Well, he hasn't done a report. He hasn't passed them for anything because he knows the answer. I mean, I don't know what, what, what's in the water here in this town. He did it. He did it. I'm telling you, he did it. And I'm not taking a flyer on this. I spent a lot of time on this. He did it. And I, did he know all the facts that were needed? Does he read the president's daily brief, PDP? He does not. And he's not the only president to. When Powell was chief national security advisor to Reagan, they couldn't get Reagan. It's only a three-page paper, 
And um, uh, Bill Casey was head of the CIA then. He used to, on the three pages, if there were one or two things that were important, he'd mark them in yellow and turn them over for the White House, for the president's copy. And he wasn't reading that. So Powell, he's, well, he is dead, yes. He would kill me if I wrote this. He used to do it, go and read it to a tape recording and then play the tape for the guy. And he'd watch that. That's how you got the president to see the PDP. I mean, that's at least for some time. No, don't shake your head. I'm, I'm not saying he happened all the time because Reagan had his moments too of lucidity, a lot of them, but not at the end. All right, there we go. So uh, I'll answer questions. I won't talk about sourcing because, you know, so I was at a restaurant yesterday and somebody from came up and said, who's the source? You know, <laughs> that's not going to happen. So go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Just speak. The, there are presumably are demolition charges from the one pipeline that was not destroyed. Would not those uh, obviously lead back to uh, mean, the, if, the perpetrators? If we went and did it, if we went and got the, the C4 or whatever it uh, was. Whoever may, may have them. You always plan for everything. And for example, about OSINT, they put out all, they could have, if they wanted to, the people running this, to take care of the OSINT people, they could have had the Japanese fleet in 1941 coming down to, uh, to bomb Pearl Harbor. They could have done anything they wanted. They could have painted any scene for the people that monitor it, which is, it's hard for people to, to in OSINT, to accept that, but it's, they're, they're part of the cover. And so they would have thought, if you remember the story I wrote, it was supposed to happen in June. He said no. He bailed out. He was afraid he'd be named then. And they had three more months. And the problem they worried about was it's low frequency. As you know, high frequency in water burns out. Low frequency is really like this. Like when kids, remember, knock, 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 knock. That's what it is. And there's always a chance. There's so much, so much traffic and so much low frequency noise of popping it. And also there was a worry about just being there that long. And still being viable. I don't know what happened with one of it, but I assure you, the people involved thought of every option, which, in other words, there was nothing there that would be traceable. It was all standard stuff. They used the, the, the sonar devices they used were off the shelf, made by Raytheon. The, the one they dropped in the trigger, it was all off the shelf. They had to know what you're doing. And the miners involved, I'll tell you how many there were, two. And it's from the mine command, and the mining command in the Navy is not a high-end command, but those guys are amazing. They're assigned to almost every task force around the world. They, as I wrote, they do good things. They clear harbors, they, they get rid of damage. Where the bombs took place was off an island in World War II that the Nazis controlled. And there was tremendous stuff in, on the bottom all over. That's one question. So they, they I, I don't, I don't, I haven't asked anybody specifically a question, but I know they, they, they had a list of all the things that could go wrong. So, and that would be it, leaving stuff there that would be traceable. And this is very brief, briefly a follow-up to a question I asked you at your last uh, Committee for the Republic event. I was a uh, secondary 9-11 responder as U.S. Customs agent, uh, specifically sifting the rubble of World Trade Center 7, an right. anomaly which refutes the official narrative of 9-11. Tucker Carlson just appeared on the show Redacted, and he went, spoke about World Trade Center 7 and asked, why, why is it we can't talk about the way that building came down, that it doesn't fit uh, any uh, official narrative. And uh, I would ask you to please uh, follow up on that. Thank you. Well, I, 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 half the mail I get is about 9-11 again. And the other half is about the JFK assassination. So, you know, it's just, I mean, I don't know. Where do you begin? So Building 7 is a big hot wire for a lot of people. I'm going to write about something. There is stuff that has, has not been released by the, uh, the Warren Commission. And it it's really scary what they, what they did, some of the stuff they withheld. 
it's a great story. I'm not ready to write it yet. I'm too busy with this other one. I'm going to stick with this one. I'm going to stick with this one because the Biden game is to wait it out and never say yes. I, I, not only because there's down the road incredible, uh, there is, there's, I did a lot, a lot of reading about law, law of the sea, and there is no statute now that specifically deals with destruction of a pipeline. There's a lot of statutes going back to 1884, and there was a treaty we signed that was augmented in 1898. We signed it about if you, if you inadvertently or advertently cut a telegraph line. And then there's a lot of stuff that was done after we started putting coaxial cables and all, these, all, the, all the stuff we do, all the communications we now have. There's law about that. There's not, and there's a movement among some committee, in, uh, a bar association committee, to get some law written that's accepted on actually destroying a pipeline. But there's certainly an awful lot of law about uh, responsibility for breaking something. So I think that's one issue. But th you've got enough. We can, you can grab me later. John Gizzi, White House correspondent for Newsmax, talking to several people from Germany and in German politics and journalism. They've always been suspect of Chancellor Schultz, who has not even finished half his mandate at this point. He's pretty close. How much did Schultz know about the destruction? And did people within his cabinet, were they given a heads up on it all? What, this is a, not, a, not a first time I've asked, been asked that question. There was a news call. Here's one of the things that makes the, the White House's... Uh, the press corps' acquiescence on this, but you ought to read transcripts of the White House press corps. They always start off with jolly stuff about the one I read when Schultz was here. It was an amazing dog. He was here just the other week, as you know. It was an amazing dog and pony show. He flew in on a Thursday, I think, with no press corps. He's a chancellor with no German press corps with him, which is really interesting. I don't know what he does Thursday. Friday, I would gather he had a meeting, but the first official, no dinner for him. We're talking about the chancellor of Germany, no dinner for him. And on Saturday, they had a little thing with uh, he and uh, the president sat down before the press corps. They were invited in and they both from reading from notes, you know, praised each other like in the like it was in in the 16th, 15th century in England. Loyalty to the crown being Biden. And there was a lot of talk about that. And then when it was over, the press started yelling. And the press secretary, you could hear her. The only way I found this was on C-SPAN. You know, go watch C-SPAN. Remember, people forget it just goes and goes. And so after it was over, the, the reporters are trying to talk. And the press secretary is screaming at him, no, he said, no, no questions, no. And they're shoving him out. And Biden's watching it. Eventually, he starts laughing. He enjoys it, which is okay. I don't blame him. It's very easy not to like the press corps. But not when you don't ask him about what, what you're talking about is... Let's make an assumption. Let's make an assumption you're a bunch of guys in the community that know how to do things. And you really know how to do things. And you're, you're competent and you don't make noise. And you've got a new CIA director, Burns, who probably took the job because, you know, CIA director, last time he was around, he was running, he was so bored, he was running one of the big foundations. Which one was it? Um, Carnegie, I think, right? And he was running Carnegie. He must have been so bored going to cocktail parties. When he was a deputy secretary of state, he was a pretty nice, he was a very equal, equal, a, a very pleasant man. Uh, then he went to Russia, and as you know, he, he, in his memoir, he said, do not expand NATO to the east or you'll end up, you'll end up with a war. And we still keep on writing that, that attack without provocation, plenty of provocation. Not enough to justify what he did. You can't, you can't cross that line. You know, he started a war. Uh, but having said, there was a lot of provocation. 
And we did park missiles a couple of clicks away from the border in Poland that we called defensive, that everybody in the business knows overnight could be turned and could, could turn, just a couple of those bombs could turn uh, Moscow into a pit that have that much power. So that we pushed the button on him pretty hard, but still okay. So in the process of trying to stop him, the White House, I wrote about this in that first story, they had a meeting. They convened Jake Sullivan, a meeting of some of the wise people from the CIA, NSA, State Department, Treasury, JCS. And of course, and I actually deliberately used word of art language. The question was, we want options for the president to stop, to convince by the, uh, Putin not to do it. And the question was, the question actually was raised, was the question that the group came back with, do you want stuff that's um, reversible or irreversible? I thought about using that language and I decided to help with, they might as well know. And I also described where the meeting was. It was across the street from the White House and the EOB at a very special place. And so I, I didn't quite give the room number, but so I just wanted them to know I did know something and they do read that stuff, they know. And of course, it turned out they wanted stuff that was irreversible. Sanctions, who, who needs sanctions? Ask, ask, the, ask the Cubans about sanctions. Ask Russia about sanctions, you know? There was all this bragging in the days afterwards that the, that the ruble's down to one cent. Uh-uh, you know, he's, he's surviving. And he's selling a lot of oil to other places. And not as much of a bigger discount officially there was, but he's making, he's, he's still turning a pretty penny on his oil. He's got a lot of it, got a lot of gas too. For this hour, we're listening to journalist Seymour Hirsch at the National Press Club. He was just talking about the U.S. fear of Russia's so-called weaponizing energy. And Hirsch was questioned by members of the audience whether the U.S. had weaponized energy in terms of destroying gas pipelines that allowed Europe to receive cheap gas and develop its industry and be competitive on the global market. Now we're going to go back to Seymour Hirsch for the last section that we are able to bring to you today from the National Press Club. And there's been, a, since Kennedy days, there's been an incredible chronic anxiety about Russia using its large volumes of gas and oil to weapon, as a weapon, as a weaponization, to get main inroads with Germany particularly and Western Europe, where there is no natural gas or oil. They depend on us. We've always had Western Europe's and Germany's, even Germany. You know, don't forget, uh, Willie Brandt came up with the great notion of Ostpolitik, which was simply a way of saying to his, the people in Europe that he, his soldiers have been murdering, raping, and mutilating and destroying for 10, 12 years, that I'm going to be your buddy. I'm going to be a big trading partner. Us politics going to be, we're going to be a fortress using Russian gas, cheap Russian. We're going to build up our economy. We're going to be great trading with partners. We want in. Of course, it took the French a long time, but they did get in, in NATO. And then East Germany got into NATO with a commitment that we wouldn't expand NATO. But we know all that. So anyway, get to, to get to your question. So the group that finally got together, the mission was come up with something that could maybe make Putin back off. And by this time, we're talking about the end of 2011. And he's already putting forces up. And by early 2012, I'm told that we saw the first signs of some medical vans, which always, you know, vans that we turn into to operating rooms. And that's another big sign. So we, by January, they were able to say, we think we can do it. We think we can blow the mines. They knew what, they knew what he wanted. I don't know how they knew 
there's a, something there I don't know. But they quickly came after a lot of back and forth about uh, uh, sanctions and what else. The group finally came to, let's see if we can find a way to blow the mines, blow the pipelines and put them back in the dark ages, presumably. The goal was to convince Putin that the cost of going in is high. He'd already shut down one of the pipelines, Nord Stream 1, which had been running since 2011, and putting so much gas into Germany that the Germans were, were re retailing some of it uh, uh, downstream, selling it downstream to other, other providers and making profits on it that the Russians just let them, didn't, didn't bother them with. It was just minor stuff. But there was that much gas. The BASF is the largest chemical company in the world that right now has been talking to China about maybe moving some of their assets there. What he did with the bombing is he told, he told Europe, he told Schultz too, we'd rather you be, keep on putting money into Ukraine, even though you're getting more and more skeptical. This is even by the fall of last year, more and more skeptical of, at the worst, a, a standoff. A very expensive standoff. And West Germany and Germany, they, they weren't as interested in the game as, as Biden was. I think Biden also saw beating up Russia as a ticket to ride. Historically, Jack Kennedy is a classic example. Presidents always did well in, politically in wars. And Kennedy used to talk about how Lincoln, the, the great presidents were Lincoln and uh, FDR Roosevelt because they won the war. So we have all that history uh, behind us. I don't know what, nobody knows what's in his mind, but I, I assume he does. And um, I, think, I think this is good politics for him. It's turning. If you ask the right question of Americans now, is $113 billion too much? Uh, more than 62% in the last poll I saw said, yes, enough of this money. We've got other things to do with it. And uh, ironically, in the Vietnam War, it was always the Democrats and a few moderate Republicans that were the leaders. Now the critics are reversed. The Democrats are dead on this one. They want this war and they want to push with China. And we've got more, we do have a considerable body of Republicans who are against it, but they're not the majority. And it's a very strange position. As, you know, I, I always thought the Democratic Party was more anti-war, but they're into this one, big time. They all outdo each other in saying terrible things about Russia, some of which are valid. On the other hand, Russia, until this war, was a big trading partner with, with Western Europe. Economy was booming. Tourism was booming. They were really enjoying it. So to get back to your question... So they told the White House by mid-January of last year, we can do it, we think we can do it. They didn't know they could do it, but they know they had, there's a group of divers, I, wrote, I started writing about Panama City in Florida. It's the best diving, probably the best, one of the best diving schools, certainly in America, but in the world. They train really good divers. And the divers always like to say, we're not, the SEALs are swimmers who do a mission, then go on television right away and talk about it and write books about it and fight each other to who's the first to get out with the story. I'm thinking about the killing of bin Laden. And the miners, the divers from Panama City who are trained there just don't talk. Two were used to set four bombs. Very small operation. And there was a decompression chamber for them. They, could, they didn't have to take a lot. They had to go down 30, every 80, 90 feet and stop. They're breathing, what, helium, oxygen, and nitrogen. And they had to go down slowly, but they could pop up fast. There was a, in, the, in the pickup ship, there was, it was a, 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 a Norwegian a mine, minesweeper. They had enough room to put a, reco a recovery chamber so they could pop up. You didn't have to be on station long. And they're, they don't, they're not beeping. They're, they're not seen by the ocean. Anyway, I go through that all the time because it's still a chronic, I hear it every day. So there I am with all this stuff. And um, so we, they tell the White House that this is, you have options. And in a meeting with, 
and Biden, in a meeting with uh, Schultz in February, about three weeks after getting this information, says if Russia goes, we're going to take out Nord Stream 2, the new one. The second pipeline had been built and had been sank. It was completed by the end of 2021, and it was filled with gas, actually. 750 miles worth of it is that long of a, of a pipeline. One straight shot from, from uh, uh, basically from Leningrad or St. Petersburg all the way down to a, a corner of, I read maps badly because I was in the army and learned how to read maps. So that's why I read them badly, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't know which part of Germany, but it went straight to a, a dock in Germany. And um, it was sealed. Uh, Schultz had sealed it. So in front of Schultz, he says, I know how to stop it. And uh, he's asked by... Do you, do you actually know what, how to do it? He said, I, I know it and I will do it, he said. I don't know why nobody pays attention to that language. He actually laid out the charge. When the bombs finally were run, when he finally authorized it, I think a lot, I, I, my guess is a lot of people involved, there weren't that many in the operation, were really thought it was a crazy thing to do. Because at that point, he's telling Europe, I'm worried about you. The war is not going well. It's going to cost a lot of money. Germany's always been hesitant to rearm since World War II, obviously. They don't want to commit as much as he wants. He's putting up more. The money's going up. The pressure's growing because Congress is going to give him a hard time now about the budget, spending all that money in Ukraine. So what he did is he cut off Schultz's opportunity if he chose. We're talking about September, October, November. It turned out to be a mild winter, but nobody knew that. He's cutting off Schultz's ability to keep his people warm and his business is prosperous because there's no question it's getting worse every week the indicators are the prices of in france right now a lot of the uh, turbines that produce energy are gas run because natural gas is so cheap in france now the uh, price of uh, electricity has gone up four and five times percent natural gas is up three to four times in italy it's hard to get a good reading in germany because they subsidize 20 to 25 percent of the gas all last year, all during the winter. But they're running out of money and they don't have the reserves they had last year. So if it's a bad winter, it's going to be a bad winter for Joe. He's going to be in real political trouble. Bill Thomas, you know, you mentioned uh, Jake Sullivan's uh, talking group. One person you quoted said, if we do this, it's an act of war. Is the United States trying to lure Russia into a direct confrontation? And you also mentioned that Biden doesn't seem to know what he's doing from one day to the next when he's talking about this. Who is running the show? Who is running Joe Biden? My mother, was, my old Jewish immigrant mother would say, Vezmir. Well, who knows? Who knows? I don't know who's running. I do know that his status is such he could, go, he could talk all the smack he wants to about how, how safe the banks are and they're still diving. He doesn't have enough standing to, to even convince, you know, even though there was, this was a lot of cyber currency stuff that always was suspect. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, ma'am. Why don't the Europeans and then the Germans see this as an act of war against them because we were deindustrializing Europe? And you mentioned BASIF and BASIF having to go to China to, I mean, everything's shut well, down there. They're just there. talking about it, but they're talking about moving stuff. They're not, they but, can't be... You can't make a plan, an industrial plan, without knowing what your fuel base is going to be and the cost. But, but if so Europe is suffering right so well, badly. Well, there's a lot more going on. I don't, I've got a man, I, not a man, I talked to a lot of people in, in Europe and, and particularly in Germany want me to talk and they want me to go there and I, I don't do, I don't talk to politicians. Right, I but this, this is like make, an act of war against Europe. What? This is like an act of war against NATO. Well... That's not illogical. The logic is going to be, 
don't forget, um, even though I'm told this may be overbearing, over, overdrawn, but if it's a hot summer, you need energy to drive the air conditioners. Uh, and the French are going to maybe put two uh, nuclear sites back on. But I got to tell you, the problem with that is we shut down nuclear reactors for a reason. And so, and there's a lot of worry about, about putting them back online, but they're going to do it, put them back online. And they're all, already scrambling to try and produce some LNG facilities. They haven't yet to do it, but there is some scramble. LNG is more expensive. It's liquefied natural gas, and it's an actual process. And we, as you know, we sold a lot of LNG when the crisis, after the crisis began to Europe at, at two and three times the price, of course. We went to war with a guy. Uh, the NATO went to war with a guy in, in Moscow who owns the industrial base of weapons. He can turn a factory on. You know, if you remember the famous story about uh, the, the, all, all the uh, moms and grandmothers who went to work for Ford and turned out a ship a day when they were, when they were, t they were uh, 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 Roosevelt, uh, he, uh, he commandeered. He basically took over the, uh, the, the assembly lines of the Ford and all those things. But um, uh, we can't do that. We have, if we want to build more weapons, we've got to go to a, a weapons company. We've got to sign a contract. We've got to have all these lawyers work on it, all these, you know, conditions for returning. We don't have the capability. And so all these stories about shortfalls and mess and weapons that were in the paper were just crazy because he could turn the button on. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I'm just, now I'm, I'm, I'm spreading gloom and I don't want to because there is no upside. As long as you don't have people that, that listen in the bureaucracy, I mean, you know who Newland's husband is, David Kagan. And, you know, there's this one, the study of war, this, their site that the, every newspaper recites. It's a very conservative site. It's the least reliable site on what's going on in Ukraine. Sai, thank you. I, I, I just want to get your comments on this cover story from the intelligence agencies in America and maybe in Germany that you got four guys and a gal. Uh, maybe maybe from the Odessa uh, Diving Club, r rent a yacht in Gdansk and then sail out into the most, I guess, surveilled part yeah. of the world, undetected. Uh, how could... Uh, and so the New York Times and the Washington well, Post that's, that's, print this? That's don't, what I was reading about earlier. Yeah, don't print anything about you and your theory? No, I, well, that, that, What's going on? Uh, what's going on is they don't like what I'm writing. And so they're entitled not to like it, and particularly since I work there, and particularly I'm pretty snarky about them. Although I must, a lot of good reporters. What I've said, even when I was at the Times, it became, I saw who got promoted. I came away working seven, eight years there thinking, if we got rid of 90% of the editors, we'd be in such good shape. Because they, they, if you had two choices between a guy that's gonna yip at you and go at you, and a guy that's gonna go along, they always pick the go along guy. You know, that's, I guess that happens in the corporate world too. You know, and I don't know. Um, so. That story, I know more about it than I can say, okay? I know a lot more about it than I can say. I just can't talk about it. But it's, I sometimes think this president has lost his intelligence community. I mean, they're, why not stick it to him with this crazy story? I mean, that's, I'm just, I'm just, I sometimes think that because it's so, it's such a bad story. You have to know something. You can't have a false, you can have a Ukrainian passport with a false ID try and rent a really 100-foot yacht. You have to be credentialed. You have to have a bank account. You, you can't come with two names that don't exist on a Ukraine passport. The diver has to be certified. The doctor that's on the board for the diver, there's a special group of divers that are qualified for underwater recovery. 
I'm serious, there are. You can't just put it, and you have to have a crew that understands what's going on. All of the basics weren't in that story, to the point where if anybody asked anybody a question about it, there was something wrong with the story. And so why did a story so bad get out? So I have a, a, a horror about the White House press corps. I think they're so tied to the beat. I think the whole problem with the beat business is awful because you're, you're tied to who you're reporting to. And you have to read some of the transcripts of the daily, the daily briefings now where they're getting nothing but problem. They say, oh, I'm not questioning the new, the new she's competent. She's perfectly competent. They're all competent. But their job is to, to produce problem and with, reduce everything to problem. And that's not challenged by anybody. After that meeting with um, that unbelievably shoddy, embarrassing meeting with Schultz, who went home, you know, slunk his way back. I hope they put him at least in the Blair House and, you know, not in a Motel 6 somewhere. <laughs> but, you know, it was really unbelievable. How, it was so depressing to see this man coming like a lapdog and having five minutes in the sun. And then they, then they put him on with, uh, it doesn't matter, with somebody who wasn't, they, they knew would not ask a tough question. He did have an interview with somebody and he was gone. And none of the reporters, when they got back after being kicked out, I read the transcript. There's a transcript you can find. Or you, yeah, it is. It's not a transcript. You can pick up the, the conversation. You can, there's a place to get the daily briefing. It began with a lot of jokes about everybody in the first row was a, was a woman. They went back, back and forth to that. Instead of coming out and saying, how dare you not talk to the chancellor? He was there when the president said, you know, nine months ago or a year ago. I, and nobody's even asked a question about the president, what the president said. And when Jake, or whatever his name is, uh, Sullivan, that little conference I mentioned four days after the bombing where he said, let the Norwegian Denmark do it. Nobody asked about what, what the president had said. We can do it and I will do it, he said. Nobody asked about it. And I guess that's because you lose points if you do. And that's where we're at with coverage right now. Okay, Bye. thank you, Si. I've got this. And that's all we can fit into this show featuring the talk by journalist Seymour Hirsch before the Committee for the Republic at the National Press Club on March 13, 2023. Hirsch discussed his investigation pointing the finger at the Biden administration for the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline system in September of 2022, an allegation the administration denies. We will post our full recording of the event on our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. This is on the ground on the ground show.org voices of resistance from the nation's capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica radio network and on all your podcast platforms at on the ground with Esther Averam. Our website and archive of all of our shows is on the ground show.org. In addition, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Averum. Special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com at On The Ground Show. Our theme music for the show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averum. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.
on the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show. And we are in urgent need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week. Please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check. All that information is there. But please, please support us. I want to thank our supporters on Patreon so much. And for those who are already supporting, if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up, we need the support. Patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground show.org. Thank you.